Welcome to the Untitled Shiro. I'm your host, Wanjiro, also known as Jen. On this podcast, I invite phenomenal African women to come on and share their individual experiences along their career journey. I try to understand their motivations behind their chosen career field and their subsequent career choices. My guest today is Omo Shalewa. Shalewa is perhaps one of the most effortlessly cool people. I met Omo when she was still working as a consultant. She later went on to get her MBA at MIT, uh, which led her into the fintech space. Despite knowing her over the years, we've actually never had a discussion about our careers. So I was so excited when she agreed to come on and have a chat on the podcast. Welcome, Omo. So good to have you on. Thank you, Jen. Uh, thanks for having me on. I think we've always just talked about everything else in life. Yeah. <laughs> Not really career. So it's good to be here and having this chat with you. Yeah, Omo. And um, I don't think it's something I've personally told you, but I think your journey has been one that's inspiring to me. Just sort of, you know, being age mates and like seeing the things you've grown and done um, has kind of in the you know on the low inspired me like i'm always just like Omo is just doing the things out here in the streets she's doing the things jeez (laughs) i'm trying to do the thing out here in the streets but thank you for saying that i think um it, it really is a combination of mostly just the universe um putting me in the right place at the right time smiling down on me after so many struggle years <laughs> so I, i'm happy uh to, to hear you say that thank you um i i hope to do more over the next few years i say few years because i really cross my fingers for early retirement oh girl that's that's the dream right i'm just gonna put that out into the universe <laughs> <laughs> So, Oma, I, I gave like a really short snapshot into who you are. Why don't you maybe give a little bit more about um, who you are and what you do? Sure thing. Um, I'll start from zero, basically. I'm originally Nigerian, born and raised. I moved to the U.S. Um, when I was about 15 years old. Um, I had just started college before I left Nigeria. But when I got to the US, um, I was too young to go to college. So I ended up doing a few more years in high school. That really upset me because <laughs> in Nigeria, we kind of, we, we finish or we start school early, which means most of us graduate high school or secondary school by age uh, 15, 16. But in the US, um, most people graduate high school around 18. So when I first moved here, my family thought that it might be too much to have just um, uprooted uh, from my country and then go straight away from home, go to college. So I spent another two years um, in high school and then went to college, um, studied business administration, uh, graduated in 2012, 2013 from um, UC Berkeley Haas. And was that a field that you, like, what was that process of, you know, okay, this is what I want to study? Did you have other ideas of what you wanted to become? I, you know how it is traditionally coming from an African family. Yeah, you know my answer to this question, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were not many other options on the table because there was no way I was going to fit into the doctor bucket mm-hmm. right? it sounded like a great idea and the entire time growing up when people would ask what do you want to be oh i want to be a doctor i want to be a sur- surgeon 
Um, and then as I grew up, I was like, mm, yeah, no, not going into the hospital or a clinic and having to deal with telling somebody that they have some type of illness or mm-hmm. having to actually look at and potentially touch blood. Mm, this is not for me. Right. <laughs> so that kind of was just crossed off the list. Then the next best thing as an African child to do is um, to be a lawyer. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that option was actually on the table. But because of the way um, the, the legal education system is structured in the U.S., you have to get an undergraduate degree first before you can apply to and go to law school. So that was actually my plan um, all along. I was going to do my four-year undergraduate degree program. In my final year, I would apply um, to law school, do a three-year um, program, uh, and become a practicing lawyer, which in my final year of college, I actually did um, start to work on my applications to law school. I just, at some point, I can't even remember why now, decided I don't think this law thing um, is for me either. I also considered engineering at some points, but yet that also was not going to work out. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th- those are the three career tracks, really. So yeah, that's what you have. Then when you've finally disappointed your family and decided none of these three options work for you, you have accounting as a backup with, you know, <laughs> with a business degree. That, that was still an option. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Then I went into healthcare consulting with a private company in San Francisco. I always had a keen interest in healthcare just because of my experiences with healthcare in my home country, Nigeria. And contrasting that with what healthcare looked like in the US, I was very curious to learn. Um, how I mean, the U.S. doesn't have like the most efficient healthcare system, but at least compared to uh, where I was coming from, it was miles ahead. So I was always interested in in healthcare um, administration and healthcare business side because I had hopes of one day returning home and applying <laughs> my learnings to make the healthcare industry in Nigeria better. When I say that now, I chuckle because that sounds so noble. (laughs) That sounds like (laughs) a huge undertaking. But in my head at that time, um, I was motivated and that was what I wanted to do. Fast forward uh, three years working in healthcare consulting, um, kind of realized I actually wasn't enjoying it as much as I thought I would. Uh, I was starting to get bored and a lot of the things I was working on was starting to feel um, very mundane. So just having the same days over and over. And I'm I'm not a person that can thrive in that type of environment. I don't do well with operations, like just repetition of stuff. I find that I'm happier um, and more effective when I'm allowed to create problem solve and I can have like a different day at work most days, right? Um, So here I am. uh, I've realized that this idea I had about a career in my head is actually really not what I want. But on the other side, I actually don't know what I want. So if I were to decide to switch career paths at that time, 
I had no idea what I would do next. Naturally, it just felt like the perfect time to go back to, to go back to school, um, hide away from real life for a few years and figure it out. So I decided to go um, get an MBA, uh, applied to a few schools, got accepted at uh, MIT Sloan. And it was while I was at Sloan um, that I got involved with planning the MIT Africa Innovate Conference. Um, that also gave me exposure to the MIT Media Lab, uh, which was where I met uh, a professor who had classes that were like seminar type classes. And that semester, he had a few sessions on financial technology that I sat in on. And I slowly started to realize that a lot of the, the things that were talked about in these sessions um, were actually things that I could relate to. Even though I had never heard of the, of the term fintech, I had no idea what it was. But listening to people coming from fintech companies talk about the problems that they're solving, trying to reduce the cost of remittances or trying to make it easier to make payments globally or trying to increase access to loans by digitizing the application and the disbursement process. Um, I could relate to that. I could connect to that. It was a problem that I knew. Every time I tried to send money to Nigeria, it was always really expensive or um, slow to, to arrive or the constant request that you would get from, you know, your mom's cousin's ex's sister's boyfriend who is trying to buy something on Amazon or trying to... <laughs> buy um, an iTunes gift card and they're not able to do so because they're in a different country and the platform that they're trying to make a purchase on doesn't support their currency or the payment type that they have from their country. So that kind of just prompted me to, to try to find out more about what fintech was. Ultimately, I settled on being um, the most interested in the payments or the loan aspect of of uh, financial technology. I also was able to pretty quickly, thankfully, determine that I, I, I wasn't quite interested in fintech in the US. Um, I was interested in fintech in emerging markets because the way I saw it at that time, that was where a lot of the innovation and the creation was happening. A lot of the, the financial infrastructure for the US was already um, built out. And a lot of the things that you see happening are more like adva advancements or improvements on the infrastructure that already exists. Um, whereas when you look at emerging markets, uh, a, a lot of these infrastructure didn't even exist. So there was a lot of work that needed to be done to build the infrastructure, right? And because of the state um, or the time at which that was happening, it also meant that there was a lot of opportunity to actually leapfrog um, from some of the legacy systems that the U.S. Um, still operates on today and just build something brand new, build something uh, that's focused on mobile, um, that's focused on financial inclusion. And all of those things just made it a really exciting um, industry for me to focus on. Now, the problem became <laughs> I didn't want to move away from the U.S., but I also didn't want to work on a U.S.-facing project. 
So I started my search for, are there any companies that are based in the U.S. but are building fintech solutions for emerging markets? Lo and behold, um, I also, of course, had a preference for Africa just because I'm African. I, I want to do something um, that helps improve my home, my continent. Um, at that time, after my very extensive research, there was just one company uh, on that list that looked like they had operations in the U.S., but were majorly operating in Africa, and it, it was Flutterwave. This was back in 2017. Um, the company was barely a year old. I decided to try my luck um, with the company. Funny story, I had actually taken a look at the company's website. I understood that it was fintech. But beyond that, I could not for the life of me tell you <laughs> that this what this company does. <laughs> but I decided to just, you know, take a shot in the dark, um, reached out. To, to the company, uh, spoke to uh, the CEO a few times and ended up joining them after my MBA program. Um, them is us because I'm still at Flutterwave. It's going on four years now and it's it's been um, honestly, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't even know if I have the words to describe it. It's been an absolutely rewarding experience. It's been very challenging. Um, it's given me a wealth of knowledge. Um, it's put me in situations where I've just had to just come up with something, solve a problem, um, innovate around a process. And it's it's been very engaging, very enlightening, and I, I absolutely love it. Mm. Such an interesting journey, Omar. I want to know about your experience at MIT. I think, you know, a lot of people know about these Ivy League schools and there's, you know, a lot of praise and, you know, this, you know, glory around, you know, the MIT and other Ivy League school names. But if you were to do it again, would you choose Sloan? You know, what was your experience going through business school? Um, yeah. What was that journey like for you? Um, it was one of the most fun two years of my life. Uh, once I got over the initial shock of realizing how much I didn't know about the world, <laughs> especially the professional world before I got to MIT. Um, I think it was a very defining moment for me in my career, just having access to people who came from very different backgrounds. And also keep in mind the context here. Um, I, I went to, I started the MBA program when I was 25 with only three years of work experience of prior work experience. And that's, that's not the typical uh, MBA profile at a lot of these uh, schools, which also explained why I was one of um, the, the youngest people to start the program. But then that meant, yeah, that I got to sit in classrooms, work on projects with people who had seven years, 10 years of experience in investment banking or in consulting, or in sales, um, just got to talk to people and work on case studies about different things. The, the exposure that it gives you is truly, truly, truly invaluable. The exposure from like a, a subject matter and content perspective, the exposure from a faculty 
um, perspective. But I think the the most important thing perhaps is the network that you have with your classmates. I joke around, but I, I think if you were to name uh, uh, any top 50 US company today, I can figure out someone who was either in my class or the year before me or the year below me that works at that company. And it's incredible, um, really, really incredible how, how these MBA programs can, can sort of help um, with building networks just everywhere. That's actually so incredible. Um, and, and you never, you know, you never realize the true value of your network until you get to that moment where you need to reach out to someone and it, it becomes so invaluable to have such networks within your reach. Absolutely. And even in my work today, um, where I, I'm not really doing um, a lot of work that's US focused, but um, I did join at a time where uh, we were building the company and a lot of things that <laughs> properly established companies had in terms of like policies or how do you structure this team or how do you structure this particular process was just not in place. And it went a long way to just have, like we have a WhatsApp group with just all the women who were in my class. We have another WhatsApp group with my cohort. It's just amazing how you can reach out and say, hey guys, I'm working at this company. We don't have Jack on this subject. <laughs> I'm trying to build it from scratch. Somebody help me. And someone will always have like a template for you to reference or have an expert for you to speak to, to get a better understanding of how to think about structuring that particular thing you're working on. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Amazing. Amazing. So you've been in the fintech industry for about four, five, four, about four years now. Yes. What have been some of the things you really love um, about your industry, things that really motivate you to continue working in the space that you're in? And what are some things you'd like to see changing, particularly in the context of um, its, its reach and growth on the African continent? Yeah, I think one of the things that like, let me just preface with anything startup <laughs> plus Africa, <laughs> it'll test you as a human being. It'll, <laughs> it'll seriously test you. Um, but the thing that like keeps me going, that motivates me is getting to the end point and seeing how we've managed to, in a lot of cases, just create something out of nothing, like creates the ability for two people to exchange value where they typically weren't able to. Mm. Um, I know like before we started recording, you had mentioned that you saw a recent announcement um, where we're now enabling remittances into Ethiopia. Yes. Um, across Africa, right? Average cost of remittances is somewhere between like 10, 15, sometimes even 20% of the amount that you're trying to send. To put that in context, like let's say you have you have a family member who needs immediate health care and it the cost is two hundred dollars. To send two hundred dollars to that person, you have to pay a minimum of like twenty dollars, right? Mm. Imagine if instead you could pay $1 and give that person an additional $19 to like buy medicine. Like if, if $220 was all you could spare, 
would you not rather know that I paid $1 to get this $220 to this person? They can go to the hospital, but maybe they also have a little leftover for medicine or, or food or water or whatever it is. Let me not have to pay that in transaction fees. Right. And being a part of an organization that works on building infrastructure and relationships that can help not only make it possible for you to actually send the money in the first place, but to do it so efficiently, so quickly and so cheaply, it kind of like it erases all the other crazy things um, that comes up on the day to day that you have to deal with. So it's that, or it's the ability for like even the simple things, right? People in a lot of African countries, they're not able to shop on Amazon, for example, or pay for Netflix, um, have access to entertainment and like having a, a company that builds solutions, um, to solve those types of problems as an employer, just it's, yeah. it's motivating. Um, then the thing that I would like to see change, honestly, I, I, I being the person that's in charge of um, expanding the company's footprint across the continent, you know, I had a, a goal that I would like to be able to cover the entire continent within five years. Right. Mm. By cover, I mean, I wanted us to be in every country possible, supporting all currencies that we have on the continent and all payment types that we had on the continent, whether it was some sort of wallet or a card payment or a QR based. But I just I wanted us to have access to everything connected on our one platform so that people could easily just transact with each other mm. When it comes down to the reality of it, um, it actually is a lot challenging to get things set up, right? Um, it's it's financial services. There are a lot of regulations that you have to make sure that you abide by, not only for like the protection of the people in those countries, but also for the protection of us as a company. Right. Um, and sometimes it can be really murky um, trying to figure out those regulations and which ones apply to you and which ones don't. Um, then in more recent years, it's actually a little bit saddening to see a lot of um, uprising across countries uh, for like local content only, like local in, in terms of you're from mm -hmm. this country, right? It's not local in terms of Africa, like by all means. Um, I think it's great to have local content everywhere, but I think that there also has to be a bigger picture um, that we as Africans see, right. right? To make sure that whatever we're building, we're thinking about it holistically mm -hmm. from a continent perspective, as opposed to just the country perspective. And that's just, it's not always my experience as I move across mm -hmm. countries. So those are the things that I I hope we can kind of get a hang of over the next few years. Yeah. I wonder what have been some of your uh, biggest lessons you've learned, I guess, so far on your career path. Um, you're still very young in your journey um even though you want that early retirement so it might be at a midpoint <laughs> um but but what what has been some of the biggest uh, some of the biggest lessons you've learned so far 
Um, this is going to seem really obvious, but never have one plan. Mm. That's that's perhaps the biggest thing I've learned. Have your main plan, then have a backup for that plan, then have two more or three more backups right. <laughs> for your backup plan. Right. Right. That that's perhaps the the biggest lesson. Yeah, and and what advice would you have um, to other young African females, um, either looking to go into you know go and then apply to get into an Ivy League school or a top business school, um, or who are looking to get into the fintech space? Um, first thing is get out there and do the damn thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're applying to to business school, it's very important, right, that you think about not only what you seek um, to gain from having a, a, a degree from that organization. It's important that you also highlight what you bring to the table how you can help this organization um, learn from your experiences or help your classmates learn from your experiences, how you can bring a different viewpoint to the discussions that are going to happen in the classroom. Because I think a lot of times when, when we apply for things, right, we tend to just focus on, oh, this is what it's about. Right. But it's also important to say, why you? instead of Jane next door, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, in thinking about careers, um, I encourage people, like if, if you're unsure about your career or if you're still trying to figure it out, I think that it's very helpful if you can outline what are some of the challenges that you deal with in your life, right? It doesn't have to be something you deal with day to day like what are some of the challenges that you deal with in your life for me when i was in grad school like i was lucky enough to have stumbled on on fintech but if i had myself done this exercise i would have been able to at least at some point write down why is it so difficult to send money home mm. or why is it so difficult for my sister to buy her design swatches on amazon right Right. If I had gone through this exercise myself, I would have at some point jotted down some of these problems. Because what that what that does is once you jot down every challenge that you think you you face in your life, maybe on a day to day basis, periodically, you can go back to that list and you can figure out which one of these problems am I actually passionate about solving? Mm. If you can answer that question you're one step closer to identifying your career path because naturally the next thing you say is who are the companies that are solving this problem or what can I do to solve this problem? If I were to start a company to solve this problem, how would I do it? Omo, you're, you're, you're <laughs> such a legend. <laughs> I mean, I didn't do this myself, so you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. <laughs> I mean, but no, that's that's such invaluable um, advice there, and um, I mean, that's that's it. I mean, thank you so much. I don't know why we did not do this sooner. Um, I know, right? This, you're always such a wise, wise one, and the coolest, I try, coolest I try. to ever do it. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for being on this episode. Thank you for having me, Jen. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Untitled Shiro. As always, I'd love to hear from you. You can check out The Untitled Shiro on Instagram at The Untitled Shiro and on Twitter at Untitled Shiro. And remember to subscribe to and rate this podcast available on all major podcast platforms. Until next time, take care.